Coming to you live from downtown Detroit, this is Benzinga's Pre-Market Prep with your host, Joel O'Connor. This is a volatile puppy here, isn't it? And Dennis Dick. I've bitten a penny. I will buy the stock for a penny. With everything you need to start your trading day. All right, I will get that video fixed. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to this Thursday edition of Benzinga's Pre-Market Prep. Spencer Israel, Joel Conan, Dennis Dick with you. We're wound up this morning between the Fed decision and uh, a couple of guidance headlines, a couple of buyback headlines. Roku had a uh, quite a day yesterday. Overstock, the CEO was sold nearly all, if not all, of his position. We'll talk about Beyond the Meat as well, pulling out of Tim or Tim Hortons uh, getting out of the the Beyond Meat uh, off the Beyond Meat train. So we'll talk about that a lot to get to. Plus two guests on our show. The first one at eight fifteen will be joined by Mark Chaykin from Chaykin Analytics, and then eight thirty five will be joined by one of our favorites, Gordon Johnson. hasn't It's been a while since he's joined our show. He's just founded his own firm, GLJ Research. He will join us at eight thirty five to talk about that and what he's covering. In the meantime, Joel. What's the word here overnight? Uh, trading mid-range here, pre-market high, right up near the high from yesterday, 1375. That's a 1075. Pre-market low, 91 and a quarter. We're trading above that substantially, you know, four and a quarter. We'll talk about the trading range in one minute. Crude up a buck 16 at 59.19. Gold in the red by five and a half. <coughs> Silver up two cents at seventeen ninety four. Bitcoin loses ten thousand, down three hundred forty dollars at nine thousand nine hundred and sixty five. So Triple D, you having some good luck today? You were were whining a lot earlier in the week. I just whine. I'm a whiner. Good luck, bad luck. That's how it goes. But putting it in perspective, so I was on a run in the summer. I was on a run. I think in my trading account, I'd have to look back, but I think I had one or two down days all summer. So we're talking like two and a half months where that's a run. Like usually I get a down day at least, usually, I don't know if it's once a week, but at least once every couple of weeks I get a down day, but I was on a run. Anyways, I've had in, in September, I've already had four down days and I had back to back down days Monday and Tuesday. So that's why, you know, you, you get a little bit upset with yourself, what's happening. And obviously it was a bad run of luck. I mean, I was having some overnight positions that are just going against me the week before Oracle reports early and obviously get slammed on that because I had it going into it. So, you know, things like this happen with your trading, but I mean, you bounce back. I'm still green for the month. It's not going to be a great month like it was in August, but I'm still green. I'm under average, obviously, with all the down days, but I'm still green. So hopefully the my months of uh, profitability can stay intact. All right. We got a lot of news here. For... There's news just breaking here. Yeah. What's and going... I don't know. It's a small stock. EROS just signed a deal with Microsoft. And if you're looking at it, it's up 31% here right now. This just hit at 8 o'clock, so four minutes ago. And the stock is ripping here in the pre-market. It's a stock that's been in the gutter. Was down to a dollar just a month ago, and now we're looking at a three thirty-four. So, getting a nice lift here. Eros. What is it, Spencer? What? You got the details on this one. It just broke, and the press release came out at eight o'clock. I'm trying to read through the PR. There you go, PR. Uh, yeah. So they're they're a media company. Eros here. As I search for it quickly, uh, they're going to develop uh, a online video platform together uh so they're 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 a chinese company 
They're, All you need to know. They're, they're, listen, listen. They're they're a Chinese uh, or South Asian, I should say, over the top streaming company. So they're essentially like Roku, but for Asia. I'm gonna, I'm going to say that right off the bat. I, I remember yeah. somebody mentioning this stock, and I actually threw this one into my long term portfolio a while ago, and it was like twelve dollars. And then I started looking at it. I was like, what am I doing with this in the long term portfolio? I think I sold it at eleven. Good sell. <laughs> now it, even though it's bouncing here this morning up 25% on this news, obviously it got down to a dollar and it's three. But I mean, that's a big headline for them. The, the, Anytime the, you see a small company and gets a pack with Microsoft, it's going to pop. This so company, I'm not surprised getting good love. This company is Roku for India. That's what they are. Yeah. Um, anyway, I'm not jumping in here and saying this is, you know, the future here because I was already in there and I almost got killed in that. And any stock that goes to a dollar usually goes back to a dollar. So long term, I don't like you know, just that the stock can go from 14 to a dollar makes me think that it could go to zero. Um, I don't know for sure. I don't follow the story close enough, but I mean, it's scary. Obviously very speculative, but big pop here is one. Good, good. You know, when you get a deal with Microsoft, you're going to get a big pop. So I'm not surprised getting a nice lift. The lift could continue. Who knows? But probably long-term it's probably a selling opportunity. Uh, you got to go through 342. We just hit that, faded back 22 cents. So it's one of those scenarios where you got to go take out the pre-market high, get that momentum going, get it 354, 455. I don't know, already starting to show a little bit of uh, weakness here. Uh, big old run up too. If you had this thing at a buck 40, buck 50 back at the beginning of the month, you're doubling your money here. So let's see it. $3 looks like it was resistance holds three good to go North and, uh, I'm not even going to go on the monthlies. You know, it had a really bad month. This was back in June. Had a high of 780. So that's uh, that's what E-R-O-S is. Spinner like. is giving us, I think this is a sympathy play. Are, are you giving us sympathy here, Spinner? It's IGC or um, no, or maybe this is something. He on, said going there's on some news on uh, some other little ones. Uh, well, he was just saying IGC is another one. I'm not sure about India Global I, Capitalization. IGC, IGC, don't they have a large stake in Spotify? I, think I don't know, but the stock's up at a dollar thirty-five this morning. I guess we're going on like penny stocks day here, a dollar oh eight up to a dollar thirty-five. So it's getting a little lift here too. I'm not sure. I don't follow this story at all. So I was just pointing out that Spinner was saying it because maybe no, that's someone else. No, the, uh, the IGC is a cannabis play. This is not. Oh, this has nothing no, to do. With no, no, okay. this is not. No, uh, I'm not. I'm not reading all of the chat. It's selective reading on my okay. part. Okay. All right, let's move on while I make myself look dumb. Okay, we have <laughs> well, two huge buybacks. Stocks well, that I do follow and stocks that I do off. trade daily. Two huge buybacks, one announced right after the close, and don't even ask me where I bought and sold my Microsoft, but okay, you can't ask me. Where'd Anyways, give us the details. We've got Target also, Microsoft, Target doing big buybacks. Yeah, stick with Microsoft here since we're, we're already on the topic. Microsoft, a uh, $40 billion buyback, and they raised their quarterly dividend from $0.46 cents to $0.51 cents per share. I was on this fast. I bought one thirty-eight seventy-nine, I think, on this news, on this headline. And you know what? I told myself, don't sell it. Don't do FIFO. Alex, I was, I was listening. Your voice was in my head. Alex from Twitter. He always says, you got the FIFO problem. First in, first out. So I knew I was in it good. Obviously, I bought it quick and I was up quickly. It went up to 140.40, like literally like a minute after I bought it. And it sat there. And it's meandering around. And I'm like, oh, I should at least wait until they say it on CNBC. Because usually it gets another CNBC pop. But you're looking at it. You're looking at it. And you're thinking, well... It's Microsoft. It is a big buyback, but again, it's Microsoft and it's a huge company. So you start analyzing, you're like, maybe I should just take the profits. So anyway, so I take the 50 cent gain, brutal. 
And then I watch it run another dollar after, like literally a minute after they say it on CNBC, it runs up another buck. So I should have held it. So I got in awesome. Again, the scalper blood killing me. So I think I bought it like 138.79. I think I sold at 139 and a quarter, 139.35. I just kind of lagged out and I'm like 139.40. And then literally five minutes later, it's up in the 140 handle. So shame on me. Good in. Again, the FIFO problems emerge. Boy, oh boy, they're buying back stock here. They're trying to get their stock going. Man. It's been hanging out doing nothing for a while. Can this kickstart at all time highs, Joel? Oh, man. 40 bill. And well, they raise the dividend. And, well, they don't. You don't know if they're doing it right now. You know, they're not exactly sending a, a market order, right? So you don't know. They're just saying they they're gonna do it. it. Maybe saving it on a decline here. It's interesting. It's got the pop, and it's really hesitating here. We're trading to one forty and a quarter. I see the pre-market high right in this area, one forty fifty. So someone's unloading a piece here. Snuck over 140 a couple times here in September. So I'll use this 140.50. That's the gateway to the new all-time high, the new all-time uh, high. Boy, three highs at 141.40 area, but the all-time high is 141.68. All-time closing high, 141.34. So you're a buck away here. Got to just see someone stubborn there at 140 and a half, Dennis. I don't know if you can identify them. Uh, well, maybe it's the person that's been selling it. It's been up here over 140 a few times and never can seem yeah. to hold. Um, we'll say guilty until proven innocent because it's going to open up near the all-time high. I mean, we're only going to be a buck off, so 140, 167. So what does it do there? Does it challenge the all-time high? I think it's far enough up it could. But again, you're right, Joel. It's not really continuing to run. It got the initial pop. It ran up fairly quickly to the 140 area. Somehow I sold on the low 139s. Silly on my part, but... I mean, it's kind of been hanging out here for the entire after-hour session and pretty much the entire pre-market. Yes, the tape isn't helping, and overall the market's down slightly here. I, I don't know what to say. I mean, this is a big buyback, but it's a big company. I mean, what's it worth? It's not like it's a smaller company. It's worth like 3 4 5%. Is it worth more than 1%? Maybe. I have no trade on it at this point. You can't do time. much about it. If it takes yeah. out the pre-market high, it's gone to the all-time high. It just seems like there's a seller up there, 140 and a half. So. I would use that as a potential target. Let's go look at Target. Speaking of Target, TGT, another buyback. $5 billion. $5 billion. $5 billion for Target. Okay, so you look at this one and you think, well, and I'm getting filled on trades right now, so I just need to do some covering as I go. Okay. Um, uh, no, yeah, just give your Target thoughts. Uh, they spiked it to 111. Not much volume traded up at 111. Kind of hanging out here in the 109 handle, 109, 109.50. I will take a look. Just keep the all-time high in mind, 110.94. We've only been up near that area one time. The next daily high was at 110.27. So there you go. They got a little bit of an overshoot. It looks like on the initial pop. And the all-time closing high, that still has not – well, we, we were above it. But uh, if you're looking for the all-time closing high, 109.85, that was your September 6th high. And, man, I, I just, I'm just a little bit uh, puzzled here by these, you know, buybacks and all-time highs. I mean – So what they do. How many companies buy the stock back and they're always buying it when they're, you know – Obviously, because it's going well for them. They're looking to deploy capital. 
they're like, oh, we're just going to buy back our own stock. You see this a lot of times where the buybacks happen when the stock's at the high. Sometimes they go higher afterwards, and sometimes we look back and say, hey, like an IBM's case, that was pretty crappy buybacks. But, I mean, Target's 110. That's the number. That's what, you know, you want to see. It's bumping its head up against there right now. Can it get through it? That's the question. But it's a, it's a pretty decent pop for Target. Okay. So that's your two buybacks. Now, moving on, we've got other stocks, and I want to go to OSTK. Okay. Because, and if you, I don't know if you can show the Edgar filing, but the former CEO, what's this guy's name? Bernie? Patrick, <laughs> Patrick Byrne is his name. I, I will pull up the filing. Oh, weekend at Bernie's. Okay, Bernie. So I'll, I'm going to pull up the filing. You can see it on Benzinger Pro. And I want yeah, to show it. There, there's a lot of numbers to look at. It can be hard to follow. I want to point your uh, attention. Teach us. To, Teach us. Uh, this column here. And uh, so column number, I guess. We're teaching you how to read Edgar filings there this morning. We do it all here on pre-market prep. Ben Zinga does it all. So this is like column four, and then uh, this is like column five. And what do these two columns tell us? A, how many shares he's selling. B, how many shares he has left. Look at the bottom row here. At 9.18, how many shares left? Zero. Sold all of it. <laughs> so former CEO sells, maybe because he's you know former CEO and he's just done with it, um, sells 1.5 million shares on September the 16th at $21.83. And then sells another... Um, Two million and then one million. So look, I don't know what the 87,000 means of zero, but maybe you can teach me what that I means. I know but. that either. <laughs> he looks like he sold stock at zero. That's not a good price. I'm not, I'm not sure what that means. So I don't know what that's all. But 2.1 million, 1866, then another 1,860,000. Leaving him with zero. So he's out. He says, no more, no thank you. I don't want any overstock. So former CEO sells his entire, what, 90 million worth? How much that all add up to? Sell for like $90 million worth he sold. Nine zero, that's a huge sale. Anyways, not surprising. Stocks getting rocked here again this morning. This has went from bliss to something that rhymes with bliss and starts with P in a hurry. Thirty dollars. This was twenty nine seventy five four days ago. It just had a two for one stock split, but it didn't get the extra shares. Fourteen ninety. Wow. Straight up, straight down. That's a mess. Now that being said, you have one major support level, and that is a low of fourteen seventy two. Can that hold? I mean, it is down 8% into it. That's the level that's critical for this to hold. Uh, I don't know if it bounces there or not. I was trying to call a bounce in Roku yesterday. That didn't work out so well. Um, so I don't know if I have the guts to call the overstock bounce here, but that's the big level. We'll say 1472. Yeah, right there. I see that, that low 1472. Uh, if it goes beyond that, four, oh, pair of lows at 1400, even 1403. Another low at 1429. So if the buyers don't step up 1472, if you're looking to bring a short in here, I think you'll find buyers uh, in the lower 14 handle. And Jimmy Vegas with the point of clarification, the 87,000, that was him exercising some options. Gotcha. So that's, that's the yeah. option exercise. I, I, so you could I, I turn around hunch, and sell it. Right. I had a hunch, but I wasn't sure what. Yeah. That so he's exercising those options just to turn around and sell all the shares. Right. Exactly. So, anyways, he's out. He's out. He's out. So big. You know, big move down here on this news. It's kind of already priced in. It was interesting last night, and, you know, I, I, do, I do see these come by. I mean, all you have to do is change your Benzinga Pro. Make sure you add press releases to it, and, and you will see these come. What, what do you have to do, Spencer? You tell me. Yeah, uh, so I'll just Make sure you add the Edgar filings in the press. Right. Show. Oh, show oh, how you get these, because I'll you can get this right away. 
like so right from the filing. And then obviously people have to read it, news feeds read it, and then interpret so it for you. So this but is if like you're fast, you can make money off these. It's things. like your main news feed. All you gotta do is go to sources, make sure you got SEC checked. And there you go. Your PRs and your newswire and yeah. all that. But yeah, because Benzinga's going to give you their stuff that they're obviously interpreting on the other things. But once you add the press releases, then you get the company actually, you know, hot off the press. So you want the press yeah. releases and the SEC stuff, and the SEC is going to get you the accurate filings. SEC hey, filing. So if you look last night, go to Overstock and show what time this broke. You can see yeah. right there, 5.03. And if you go and look at the tape, it actually traded up on this briefly. This I don't know why, but it went up to 16.50 on this news. And I was like, I don't get that, but... I actually went and looked at, and I couldn't even find a locate on the thing. I don't know why last night. I mean, I'm sure I, I didn't look very money. hard. It, it, it is eight seventeen. That's a great point, Joel. We're getting <laughs> oh, yeah. carried Let's away go. with our overstock. So let's let's bring on Mark Jake. We're right overtime now. with overstock as as we get carried away with with overstock uh, uh, selling here. Mark, uh, good morning. Morning. How are you guys? You're overtime with overstock. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But this is a great lead-in to one of our favorite stocks that really took a big hit, FICO. And okay. if you put up the daily chart, two things stand out. A, the stock had been a great buy on dip stock. We all know it because it's our credit score, but an enormous 70 plus PE ratio. So at that peak that it made uh, two weeks ago, shaken money flow was negative. That is the kiss of death. And we kept getting calls and emails saying, well, what's going on in FICO? I don't get it. Is it you know, Fannie Mae going public again? It turned out that on September 5th, executives sold 550,000 shares up at 360, almost $200 million worth of the stock. It wasn't on any news wires, quiet as can be. Couldn't find it for, it took me a week to find it. Wow. So insider trading can be really powerful. And I think when the momentum investors saw that the management didn't believe in the stock up at 360 at 75 times earnings, they just left the party and stopped, you know, pulled the bids. So I think this is really important. In the check and power gauge rating, this is one of the 20 factors. It turned bearish on FICO on the 6th of September. It took a little while for the uh, databases to pick up the selling, but really important. You have to, you're, you're absolutely right. You have to have a way to monitor this, especially in the high flying stocks. What do you think turned it, Mark? I mean, on the 6th, it made a new all time high at 73.24. 37324 and it closed in an all-time high. What do you what well, do you the next day the next day oh, the insider filing showed up the very next day. And as soon as the public, you know, not the public, it's the pros that see this, as soon as the hedge funds saw that the insiders and that this isn't just a little bit of selling, this was um, almost two hundred million dollars worth of stock. That's major. I, I follow all these Edgar filings, and I, I will say, and I know there was an article um, that Benzinger wrote about it, that just outlining what I said on the, pro, on the show maybe a couple of weeks ago or a month ago, but, you know, the buys are very important, I will say. You know, when you see a CEO coming in and buying the stock, especially if it's been in the gutter for a bit, it's a big vote of confidence, and on some of these smaller ones, they can really move the shares. The cells are wishy-washy. If they're small cells, it could be just nothing because, you know, maybe he's just booking, you know, maybe he just needs some money. You know, you get these CEOs that have a $90 million position. If they sell a million bucks, it's really nothing. When the CEO like Overstock has a $90 million position and he sells the entire 90 million, 
that's a different story. So it's all about, you know, kind of, you know, being able to interpret that as well. But you can't just like hit the sell button because you see a CEO sell. It depends on how big it is. What's the situation? Why, you know, and you, often you don't know why they were selling. But, you know, there's only really one reason to buy. And that's to obviously take advantage of you think your stock's going up. That's why I think the buys are more important than the sells. But in some cases, when the CEO sells at all, or a significant amount, like you're saying in FICO, it can be, you know, a precursor to what's to come. Well, in FICO, it was five different executives. That's, that's important, too. That's important. And they claim that there was a window that they had, you know, uh, prior to earnings where they how to get out of the you know stock if they were going to sell it. So the earnings, next earnings report uh, is going to be an interesting one because you sort of wonder if they thought the next earnings report was going to knock the stocks off Wall Street, why would they be concerned in selling the stock? Next so earnings report is November 7th, so there's a long time between now and then. Let's move to the Fed yesterday there, Mark. And obviously... Um, they did, you know, we didn't know. It's kind of a coin flip whether they were going to lower or not. They do end up lowering a quarter. Maybe the commentary going forward, forward was saying maybe they were like, kind of, that's more like a one and done. I think the market at least interpreted it that way too. What are your thoughts here first on what the Fed has done? And then secondly, what does it mean for the markets? Well, in my weekly market letter on Sunday, I said they're going to cut a quarter of a point and that's likely to be the last cut of the year. And the reason is the economy is strong. And Powell actually said that in the after comments, which is why the market rallied big time from those, I don't know, lows at around 2.30 uh, into the close. Basically, what Powell said was, this is it for now, unless the economy weakens, in which case there'll be a series of rate cuts. But to me, the, the tell was the day before when housing starts made a new 12-year high. If the consumer is strong, Retail sales are good, whether they're on the internet or in uh, bricks and mortar, doesn't matter. It's still dollars spent. And housing starts are at a new 12-year high. There's no recession. The economy is okay. It's chugging along, creating jobs. And so I don't think there'll be any more rate cuts this year unless some exogenous event submarines the economy. I don't see that happening. So I think, I think we're done for now. What do you make of the market action? Like yesterday on the headline, we sold off significantly, but then we rallied all back by the end of the day and almost closed at the highs. We've we sold off again here overnight, but again, we're seeing the same story. The buy the dip mentality continues to come to this market. We're trying to go green here once again as we're talking. What are your thoughts here on where the market goes from here? Well, we're overbought on the S&P, on the um, small caps, which really outperformed last week in a big, big way. Uh, the large cap brethren, but um, we're in a period in September, this last two weeks of September, where the market can go either way. So I'm looking for a seesaw market, but there is clearly no selling pressure in this market. I think what happened yesterday is the algos who read and parse the headlines saw negative stuff, you know, it's, this is it for now. And then Powell, who's finally learned what the impact of his words are, uh, gave him very measured and reasonable. I mean, he, he's basically reasonable. He said, if the economy weakens, there'll be a series of rate cuts. Right now, we don't see that. And I think that's why the market rallied. Strong economy, why in the world would you sell stocks when your alternative is um, bonds that are really gonna take it on the chin? 
We're on the line with Mark Chaikin of Chaikin Analytics. He joins the show every couple of Thursdays, give us updates on the market. Uh, Mr. Chaikin, you've been through a few quad witch expirations in your day. Boy, oh boy. I mean, are we quad, are we just winding up here for like a huge move today or tomorrow? We've been in this extended trading range. We had the Fed meeting. I mean, I'm looking at this, the range over the last three or four days, and we are stuck here. You're looking, looking for some fireworks uh, either, you know, today or later on tomorrow. Because how do you go a whole week in a quad witch and not have some kind of shenanigans going on? That's a really good observation. I think if you look back, the September expiration is a little different from the other three. So, uh, and particularly because September is that, you know, period when markets often are in a bottoming phase into an October low. Um, volatility is low. You know, you've got the VIX. I know it dipped under 14 a few days ago. I doubt that it's rallied very much. I didn't look at it uh, this morning. But uh, with VIX low, I don't think you're going to see fireworks here. All right. Jumping back. Well, I, I just wanted to take it over, and yep. uh, we we had a couple of big buybacks this morning, Microsoft yeah, and Target. We were we were just talking about them a few minutes ago. But what are your thoughts here, just on buybacks altogether? I mean, how you know? And first of all, I don't know if this is something you track closely or not, or if it is. But you know, we are seeing you know a lot of buybacks this year. What are your thoughts on this? As you know, the market's still near all time high, so a lot of these stocks like Microsoft and Target are buying their stocks right near their all-time high. What are your thoughts on this? Well, Microsoft authorized a $40 billion buyback with no time frame. So, right. you know, they're not dumb. Uh, well, maybe they are, but they'll buy the stock back, you know, on, on dips when they think it's attractive. Same as Apple. Apple has timed their buybacks beautifully. How much uh, of, and, and, and it's a good point you're making here, how much of the buy, buying on the dip, you know, that we continue to see, you know, especially in some of the mega caps, could potentially just be the companies themselves using that dip opportunity to employ the buyback that they authorized. I think that's a good observation, unless you're in the, you know, the quiet period uh, around earnings, probably uh, the case. Uh, why don't we focus on stocks that people can be buying here? Because I think the, the landscape has shifted uh, dramatically as of a week ago Monday. So I've got a couple of names yeah, I yeah. wanted to talk about and some themes if, if you're up for it. Yeah, let's do it. Well, let's start with one that I'd be really leery about. My, uh, Micron reports after the close today, it made a new high with taking money flow negative. Power gauge rating is neutral. It's the same pattern we saw in FICO. I'd be really cautious heading into earnings. But AMAT and LAM Research look really good on the charts bullish power gauge ratings, making new highs. So uh, I think in semiconductors, you've got to be selective. Uh, Broadcom has a bearish rating, but AMAT and LAM research look great. Uh, I like the beginnings of saucer bottoms, cup and saucer in the biotech and some of the better quality drug stocks. So Biogen and Bristol-Myers are starting to show that saucer bottom pattern. They're starting to outperform the market. That's what we call a bullish personality change with bullish power gauge rating. So it's the early stages. If we're gonna go up to my target of 3,100, 3,200 by year end, I think it's gonna be financials and biotechs that are gonna take over the leadership. 
I mean, this is the rotation that we've been seeing. It's to from the high PE stocks to the low PE stocks in the last week or two. So you think that might continue? I mean, we've seen Roku just get annihilated here in the last week and a half. Shopify, the same story. These you know stocks that are trading with ridiculously nosebleed multiples, or you know, in some cases, don't even make money, um, have come in where you've seen the value trade come back. And you know, obviously, you got Biogen. I think trades six or seven times earnings. Maybe it's eight. The banks, a lot of them are trading eight or nine times earnings. So is this a, a valuation call for me? Do you think like the low P stuff remains in favor then? It's also a technical call because if you look at the charts, right. you've got a really nice saucer bottom moving through resistance in a gentle way. These aren't dramatic moves, which is great because you can get in on small dips. But I do think that the trends that started a week ago Monday out of momentum and growth into value and small caps are going to continue into year end. I think these are big tectonic shifts and they don't just reverse overnight. You know, when, when this happens, and I think interest rates are the reason, by the way, and a couple of analysts have alluded to that. When the um, 10 year treasury bottomed at 141 and then rallied 47 basis points by the end of the week, that basically sent a message that the, um, hockey stick move in bonds was over. And I, I've been saying this for a while, that this is a very crowded, very risky trade. And when interest rates are moving up, investors are not willing to pay a premium for growth or momentum. But one thing people should realize, momentum doesn't mean high tech. You had momentum in utilities. That's over. You had momentum in consumer staples. I think that's over. So I think you really have to look at strong industry groups like aerospace defense, like biotech uh, and home builders, for instance. And that's where you're going to find buying opportunities. I don't think you can routinely buy the dip in stocks that we've liked previously, like FICO, Visa. Uh, Cadence has rolled over. A lot of the software stocks have rolled over. So I think it's a different game and people have to realize that. Otherwise, they're going to be trading stale merchandise and get caught up in, you know, momentum unwinds. Uh, just to clarify, Micron is next Thursday after the close, not, yep. not today. Oh, my God. Well, Other than me... that, you know what? Well, I was actually you... on the wrong week. Maybe you're doing the same thing. I was on the wrong week uh, yesterday. I was looking at my calendar and I was like, oh, I have this tomorrow. And for some reason, I was on the September 25th week. I was in my iPhone calendar. I was on the wrong week. Maybe oh, you did the same thing I was. <laughs> you mean today's not the 25th? <laughs> <laughs> that's, what I, that's, that's what I was confused with, too. I'm losing. Thanks. It's been a tough month. I'm losing weeks here, too. <laughs> Thanks for the clarification. You're absolutely right. It's yep. the 26th. Yeah, I'm, I'm in the same camp here. But uh, I think there are opportunities in the market, but obviously with the S&P, you know, b banging up against new highs, you don't want to be aggressive. You certainly don't want to buy breakouts because that's not going to work in this climate. You've got to buy pullbacks. But again, not in the favorites that we've been talking about on the show. The, that game has changed. It was a great game. Hopefully people took their profits uh, and, and money off the table, but it's pretty much over in my view. Uh, and as I said, the shift into financials, biotech, um, some of the real estate service stocks like CBRE, Comcast, a nice safe name, Microsoft, we've been talking about for six months. So there are plenty of stocks you can buy. They typically have good yields as well. So uh, it's a different ballgame. The one thing that hasn't changed, and maybe we'll leave it on that note, energy, I think this rally in crude was a gift uh, for people who are 
stuck in energy like Oxy and ExxonMobil and Chevron to get out. Because if worldwide demand is slowing, which it is, I mean, the worldwide economy is not as good as the U.S. economy, then uh, the demand for energy is not going to be there. And once the dislocations from the uh, drone strikes are mitigated, I think energy is back in the doldrums. All right, Mark Chaikin is the founder of Chaikin Analytics, spent over 40 years on Wall Street, joins us every other week. Mark, thanks for the time, and we'll talk to you in a couple of weeks. A couple of weeks it is, guys. I'm moving to Connecticut. Oh. Bye-bye, Philly, but I'm still going to root for the Eagles. No way I'm rooting for the Patriots. (laughs) Congratulations. Thank you. Be good, guys. Thanks a lot, Mark. All right, uh, 8.33 here, a couple minutes before we're going to grab uh, Gordon Johnson. Do you want to give us any balances? If uh, Yeah, so they come out at 8 o'clock now. So I don't know when yeah. they – like I think it was a month ago they adjusted it. So the imbalances actually come out at 8 a.m. Eastern. So they bring them out a, a half an hour earlier than they used to the morning imbalance because they used to come out at 8.30. So they give you opening price indications right away. Um, but you know what? They're small today. I do see Mo 40,000 to sell. Mo has really been in the gutter ever since they announced that potential t- tar- being a target for Philip Morris and then talks. It's been straight down ever since. Um, so obviously the premium that they're going to get there isn't maybe if they, they do do a deal isn't as much as everybody thinks it's going to be. Geez, the smallest selling balance today. Only 88,000 a day. Usually, usually it's 200. AT&T, 81000 to buy. There is a headline on AT&T, which we did not discuss. Maybe we take the next 30 seconds to discuss that headline with DirecTV. That's your cue, Spencer. Yeah, sorry. The, uh, the DirecTV AT&T saga, well, I guess you can call it that. Uh, AT&T is trying, apparently, according to the Wall Street Journal, to spin off DirecTV. Whether or not this is of their own volition or because of uh, Paul Singer and Elliott Management, we don't really know, but... They, according to the journal, they are trying and exploring ways to spin off or sell the DirecTV unit to anybody. Somebody, anybody. Somebody please take DirecTV. For some reason, they're rallying this on this, and I don't see it as even being good news. I see it as desperation for a, a, a company that they bought and paid a huge amount of money for, and here we are five years later, and they're trying to figure out how the hell to get rid of it. They're saying, oh, maybe even a combination with Dish Network. And Dish started getting a little pop on this last night, but then I believe we had commentary that Reuters said, and Dish, and they were saying there's been no talks between them and AT&T about DirecTV. Dish has their own problems. Why the hell do they want another satellite provider? I mean, everybody's cutting the cord, right? They're well, cutting Dish, the satellite cord, too. Dish and DirecTV had tried to merge in 2001, and the government said, no, no, no. Yeah, so, so but why now? I mean, I don't know. I, 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 I can't see them finding a buyer for DirecTV. Maybe they spin it off, but I don't I wouldn't want shares of that. So I think yeah. that's a you know, I think it's a dying business. Yeah. All right. Uh A thirty five here. Let's take a quick break and grab Gordon Johnson from GLJ uh research. We'll be right back in a moment here with Gordon. All right, welcome back, everyone. Pre-market prep, Spencer Israel, Joel Conan, Dennis Dick, joined now by Gordon Johnson, as I mentioned uh, before the break, founder of GLJ Research. Gordon, good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Uh, Mr. Johnson here, you uh, you started a new firm here. You just want to give us uh, a quick uh, quick update on GLJ Research. Yeah, sure. We, we haven't officially initiated coverage, so we can only talk about industry stuff today. 
Um, but, um, you know, along with my partner, James Bardowski, we've launched GLJ Research LLC. And uh, we're very excited to bring differentiated, um, deep analysis to our institutional clients and uh, try to help uh, provide insights for, uh, you know, guys like you and, and some of those in the investment community. Fantastic. Uh, we love your input. So we're just going to go, we'll go broad here a little bit. We'll just spend a minute or two, get some comments on on these sectors or these themes here, and we'll get through them. Uh, U.S. macro outlook. Yeah, so when we look at the U.S. macro outlook, I mean, you've seen the U.S. ISM recently turn negative. And if you look at, you know, we track a number of global uh, manufacturing, um, uh, essentially, um, countries and what's going on there with respect to PMIs. And 63% of the global, major global PMIs we track um, are trending down. Um, you look at things like um, construction growth in the U.S. or, um, you know, trailing 12-month um, um, uh, capital goods orders, and they're all looking down. You look at, um, you know, some of the guidance given by FedEx, by some of the steel companies, most recently X last night and earlier this week, Nucor. Um, I'm sorry, uh, yeah, Nucor. Um, and, and, you know, the guidance being given is not great. So we think that while the viewpoint is that the U.S. is strong, there's a reason why the Fed has cut rates um, a couple of times in the past few meetings. Um, and we think that the weakness in global economies um, may be spilling over into the U.S. And you can see that, again, evidenced by a number of different data points, guidance from companies, uh, manufacturing data, ISM, um, construction starts in the U.S., all trending negatively year-over-year growth. All right. So if you talk about U.S. macro, you got to talk about China macro. Yeah. So when we look at China macro, that, that's a great point. So, you know, we uh, so effectively, you guys remember very clearly in 2016, a lot of the bearish camp was calling for a hard landing in China. And, and for, for, for a short period of time, two to three quarters, you know, the bears look right, including us. And then the bears got smacked in the face when Xi Jinping came in and unleashed um, uh, uh, the Kraken of stimulus, if you will, um, ahead of him uh, becoming the uh, essentially uh, dictator for life in China. You know, he, we believe he did that to, you know, basically make growth look great. But the problem is when you, when you basically pour money into an economy and you're building things, empty office buildings, et cetera, effectively your debt service grows. And by our calculations in 2016, the, Essentially, credit required just to service China's debt was under a billion. Um, um, uh, 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 and now you're looking at, um, I'm sorry, a trillion, uh, CNY a trillion. And today, however, given all the debt that's being issued, China needs to basically issue on a monthly basis just under $2 trillion, um, in credit just to service its debt. So we believe that the credit that China is issuing is not finding its way, right? TSF on a monthly basis is not averaging above $2 trillion, meaning that credit isn't finding its way into the real economy. And that's having a very negative effect on growth in China. You can see this from a number of different data points in China. Um, uh, you know, PMIs for, for Caxon or the you know, official PMI, uh, the still PMI in China, you know, uh, new starts in China, property transactions, all of these things are trending down. Uh, the Li Qiang index. I mean, there's just hundreds of data points, but the most important data point we believe is credit. And if you look at trailing 12-month liquidity to GDP in China, liquidity defined as TSF plus local government debt, in 2015, right, that that ratio fell 63 basis points. 
And that preceded the great global commodity scare. In 2018, that ratio was down 83 basis points, so even scarier than 20, 20, uh, the 20, 2015 dynamic. So the question is, what does that mean for 2019 and 2020? We think it means slower growth in China, right? The, uh, the government came out just recently in China and said 6%, maintaining 6% growth is difficult. We think that's, uh, we, we agree 100%. Uh, but we think that given China consumes 50% of the world's, uh, you know, still roughly 50% of the world's iron ore, you know, 59% in, in, in the second quarter of the world's uh, battery electric vehicles and, on, and so on and so on. As growth slows in China, we think the rest of the world is going to catch the flu. Um, and we don't think that's consensus right now from, from an industry perspective. Just go quickly back uh, to the U.S. macro here. Do you, you find any solace in, in housing starts being at a 12-year high? I mean, that, that, uh, that could be good for many different sectors of the, uh, of the economy. What's your, your comments on that? Yeah, I mean, there's, 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 there's puts and takes. I mean, there's definitely um, positives in the U.S., um, uh, market overall, right? The, the U.S. economic backdrop is definitely looking better um, uh, th- th- than global markets, but the U.S. from a industrial perspective doesn't drive things. You know, when you look at things like, if you look at global crude still production, excluding China, year-over-year percent growth, it's now trending negative. In fact, the year-over-year growth in the most recent period um, of uh, July was down 2%. That's the weakest growth we've seen since 2015, looking at crude steel production excluding China, right? I'm sorry, 2015. And keep in mind, in 2015, that was right before the global, you know, uh, the, the, the great, great global commodity scare. And when you look at things like, for instance, U.S. steel prices, right? U.S. steel prices recently rebounded just roughly a month ago, all the way up to $600 per short ton. They're now back down to 550. Um, and growth there is trending lower. We know that scrap prices in the U.S. fell $40 in September, um, and that's and before that, year-to-date, they were down $103. So still prices falling, right? Uh, global crude steel production, excluding China, year-over-year growth falling. Um, so we think those dynamics will have clearly negative impacts, impacts on specific in the, in the industries in the U.S., and we think that people are kind of missing the, the trees for the forest, if you will. On yesterday's show, we were talking about, uh, uh, you know, driverless vehicles and electric vehicles and autonomous driving. Uh, where do you stand on uh, EVs uh, and looking into the future with Gordon Johnson? Right. I mean, l- l- let's just look at the data, right? So, again, we, we don't have any views on stocks right now. But in the second quarter of 2019, China represented 59% of global battery electric vehicle sales. 59%, right? So what's going on in China? Well, in July, for the first time ever, year-over-year growth of battery electric vehicles in China was down 4.76%. However, in August, that number increased to a decline of 16% year-over-year. Battery electric vehicle sales in China down 16% in August. Now, we know the driver of that was the late June cut to China's battery electric vehicle incentive for cars um, uh, with 250 miles of range, they cut their incentive by 50%. And as we know, incentives drive renewables uh, as well as battery electric vehicles. But when you have 60% of the market, i.e. China, uh, now declining at an accelerated clip, it doesn't bode well for the industry at large. All right. Well, that's taken a, that's a nice wrap on that. How about solar? Uh, you look at uh, FSLR and some of these stocks uh, had some runs, just stalling out a little bit. Uh, what's your long and short-term outlook for solar? 
Well, from an industry perspective, prices are still falling. And, um, you know, basically what we're hearing in China is, you know, a lot of people at Tech China at a 40 to 50 gigawatt market, roughly 50% of the global market. And now you have, um, you know, reputable government sources, um, contacts rather, that we talk to in China publicly coming out and saying that China is going to be 20 to 25 gigs this year. So that's a big shortfall. Now, the reality is the U.S. market's on fire, and the resi market specifically in the U.S. is on fire, and that's driving a lot of um, uh, optimism uh, right now. But keep in mind, the investment tax credit falls January 1, 2020. So, look, there's a solar conference next week, a big solar conference in Salt Lake City, Utah, that we will be attending, um, where we're going to get a lot of insights into what's going on. But the question that needs to be answered um, uh, is, is this demand in the U.S., demand pooling ahead of the investment tax credit cut that takes effect January 1st, 2020, or is it fungible, you know, organic demand? We'll look to get that answer. But on a global perspective, prices are still falling. The outlook in China is not great. Um, PV Insights reported prices pretty much across the board falling again this week um, when everybody expected, you know, prices to start rising towards Q4. So globally, things look like they're still troubling. Uh, people are excited about the U.S. market, but again, we'll get answers next week at the solar conference in Salt Lake City. Now, you touched on uh, steel briefly. Uh, a couple companies are lowering guidance here, so you mentioned that. Not a good outlook for steel stocks? Well, I, we don't have views on stocks yet, but from an industry perspective, there's a number of things that are concerning, right? You have the GM automotive strike, right? And when GM isn't the Bahamas in car sales that it used to be, it is still a Bahamas. And auto is a big consumer of high margin, you know, um, uh, HRC steel. Um, so, you know, one thing that we've you know, been looking at is auto production. And auto production has fallen significantly this year versus what we've seen in prior years and was down last year as well. So that's a big headwind to the steel industry. And keep in mind, this is something I don't think a lot of people focus on with respect to the industry. You know, while there are quotas on guys like Brazil and South Korea, their imports into the U.S., if you look at the imports that you get when these quotas reset at the beginning of each quarter, it's a massive influx. And all of that stuff isn't consumed. It's basically stored in warehouses. And when the quotas renew, that stuff is released, again, like the Kraken, into the U.S. market. So you have a big negative catalyst coming, in our view, from an industry's perspective, January 1st, 2020, when the quotas for Brazil and South Korea reset, and you have the release of all this inventory into the U.S. market um, at a time when you know, domestic capacity is ramping uh, into a down market. Um, you add to that, you know, the weakness in auto. You add to that, um, you know, the fact that scrap prices are down $40 in September and $103 before that year to date. And the fact that the resurgence in U.S. HRC prices hasn't been able to hold despite capacity reductions. And the outlook just isn't good uh, from an industry perspective. So, you know, we think that the steel industry uh, has further headwinds from an industry perspective uh, on the horizon. All right. One sector that uh, I haven't, I don't think I've ever heard you comment on, but uh, a lot of debate about the future of the cannabis sector. Give us uh, right. give us your short and long-term outlook for that sector. So, you know, there's health data, there's health Canada data that comes out and it's very um, interesting data. 
But essentially, if you look at that data right now, if you just compare, you know, sales to inventory and you look at the amount of inventory in the market, the Canadian cannabis market is sitting on roughly two years of inventory. Um, and another interesting data point, um, if you look at what Canopy reported in their most recent quarter, I think this missed a lot of people. They took a charge for effectively inventory they had to buy back from the provinces. So think about this, right? They've reported sales, right, of cannabis. And, and the way it works is if you're in Canada and you're selling in, in – if, if you're a Canadian cannabis company and you're selling in Canada, you don't sell directly to the end user. You sell to the provinces. But if you look at the, the, the fine details of the bylaws of the agreements the provinces have with the Canadian cannabis companies, one of those bylaws is if there's excess inventory, the provinces can put that product to the Canadian cannabis producers. Meaning, like, if you're Intel and you've sold chips to Dell, and Dell feels like they brought too much chips, they can make you buy back those chips. I mean, this is, I've never seen this. And we highlighted this early on um, in our industry coverage, but you saw it actually take effect last quarter when Canopy had to effectively buy back product from the provinces. We think that from an industry perspective, that's a very negative dynamic. Um, and we think from an industry perspective, given prices in the U.S. are kind of around $2, and on average kind of prices in Canada are around $4 per, per gram, we think that from an industry perspective, you can see some more downside given the excess inventory in the Canadian cannabis space um, on prices, and clearly that's not great for margins. So from an industry perspective, you're looking at you know uh, 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 a Herculean level of inventory, and province is already starting to put back some of that inventory to the producers, and we think that's really fallen uh, by the wayside, if you will, uh, to Canadian cannabis investors. We think that's a very important dynamic that a lot of people just haven't focused on, and we think it's something that from an industry perspective, you know, people need to focus on going forward. All right, Gordon Johnson has been on with us. Gordon, next time you come on, I hope we can talk individual names. But uh, founder of GLJ Research, thanks for the time as always, Gordon. We'll definitely have you on when you are able to, uh, when you start your coverage and are able to talk specific stocks. Absolutely. Thanks, guys. Right, can't wait. Thanks, Gordon. Can't wait for that. What's going on here? What's going on in the market? Uh, we're exploding here to the upside up five and three quarters handles. Just kind of was real quiet and then he we just popped like four, five, six points. Triple D, you seen anything on the wires? Maybe. Uh, well, we had an 830 number, which um, we've been kind of crawling up since then. But it's just been a steady climb. But now we're really starting to go here. I mean, we were down six or seven handles when we started the show. And we're up five. So we've had a 10-point rally since we started the show That's an hour ago. significant. Yeah, it's significant for sure. So, I mean, moving? I mean what's, what's it's this buy-the-dip mentality. Even yesterday, you had a dip for about an hour and they turned around and they bought it all afternoon or like from three o'clock on or two thirty on and they made basically brought us right back up to the highs i mean it's the same thing here it's just groundhog day around here they're buying the dips again same thing that we saw for years um you know for basically the last seven years and we're starting to see it happen here again so it's different stocks that are leading like we were talking already, Roku is not leading here today. Roku is down another 4%. I'm not even sure this commentary, if this is a follow-through or what it is. But, you know, you've just got to be aware that, hey, when these stocks start, uh, you know, when it starts to turn, the rotation starts happening, it's different stocks that lead us out. 
Um, this morning, it's oil. Oil stocks are definitely higher. Oil is bouncing back here from a little bit of a hit yesterday. So if I'm looking at the oil stocks, they're all leading. But there's also a few other stocks. I mean, it's mixed. Um, and obviously, we only have five handles. So um, that's the only sector I really see super strong. But again, it's these, you know, these Momo names that were getting all the money. It seemed like forever, you know, at ridiculous nosebleed valuations. The money's coming out of those stocks right now, and it's going into lower multiple stocks. So what Mark Jacob was saying earlier, I completely agree with. We're seeing a rotation. I mean, we're seeing it, in, and I've talked about my portfolio, my long-term portfolio, which is very cognizant of, you know, PE multiples. I like to buy stocks that are cheap. Um, it's really turned around in the last couple of weeks. I mean, significantly. So you, I can see it in my own individual portfolio. I mean, it hasn't been good. I've probably underperformed the market in the last five or six years because I've uh, obviously been more value oriented. It's working right now. I don't know if that turns again or not. I'm not sure. But as of right now, Momo is out of favor and, and, and growth is kind of out of favor and value is back in favor. I've got a Momo name for you, Beyond Meat. Yeah, so this gets a rating here today. I can't understand it. I'm going to probably go on a rant here in a second if you wind me up. But who? what's the rating and what's the okay, deal here? So, so listen up. So uh, yesterday news broke that Tim Hortons was significantly scaling back uh, their Beyond Meat offerings. In fact, they, were, uh, they had pulled Beyond Meat products from all Canadian provinces except for the two largest, British Columbia and Ontario. Those are the two largest, correct, Dennis? I'm not... Yeah, Ontario. Okay. Well, Ontario is so, the main one, I guess. Right, and then BC. So they've pulled uh, Beyond Meat products from all stores in all the other provinces. And you're questioning this rating today. Uh, here is what a analyst at DA Davidson said yesterday with regards to this Tim Hortons news. I don't interpret these reports as any indication that interest in plant-based meat at large or Beyond Meat in particular has peaked as it is way too early to draw any such conclusions. And he noted that they have many other partnerships. So he is not as bearish on this one headline as you are. That was David Davidson yesterday. And then you get Barclays with an overweight today. Right. Barclays upgrade, or sorry, initiating coverage this morning uh, on Beyond Meat at overweight, gave it a $185 price target. I, I can't so understand this to, at A lot all. to digest there. You know, what's sold to you. Um, I still am going to say, I think when I look at Beyond Meat, I think I said it a year from now. I said it two months ago. So I got 10 months to go. I think it's under 100 bucks. So I think this is just another opportunity to sell. Could it get some more life here? We haven't had a rating in a while for Beyond Meat. So maybe you want to wait a little bit here before just coming in with your sound shoes on immediately. I think the all-time high is in. I thought it before, and then it, it continued to show life. It continues to try to hold on. So I can't totally understand that. But I mean, let's just talk about this Tim Horton stuff and whatever DA David did. I'm completely on the other side of the DA Davidson argument. I mean, here is, you know, and I see Tim Hortons there on every street corner in Canada. Everybody goes there. They put these, you know, Beyond Meat burgers in there very quickly. And now they're already starting to pull them out. I mean, okay, they're going to leave them in an Ontario, but they're pulling them out of the other provinces. It's not good news. You know why they're pulling them out in the other provinces? Because they're not selling. You know why they're not selling? Because they don't taste that great. To be honest with you, they don't taste that great. So I can't understand how it has this kind of multiple. It just shows the irrationalness of you know markets and stories matter more than fundamentals. But when the story breaks, these things get ugly. We just saw it with Roku. Story broke, the thing gets ugly. This is already broken. You still have believers. You have Barclays, a believer here. I believe they are wrong. I think the stock is lower when I look at it six months from now. 
I think it's lower when I look at it six weeks from now. Um, it's still a difficult short. So you have market mechanics where you can't borrow the thing, probably holding it up as well. When this thing eventually gets, you know, through lockup and we get some more shares out there, I think the prices come back in. But I mean, we're at still a point where it's holding on. So you have a technical, you know, trade here. Um, but I, I'm not participating alongside of this at all. You're getting a pop, getting a pop. Uh, three. Of course you are. It's got yep. a rating. I think you could pop even more than that. I mean, I'm not. Uh, I'm actually surprised it's only up 2.4 percent. I mean, we, when's the last time we had a buy rating on Beyond Meat come out? Oh man, this is this is a talent itself. I mean, you get a pretty bullish analyst report coming out here, and it goes up three bucks. It's not very good. It yeah. should be up 10 on that. When we had ratings before, early on, the thing would go up 20 on a new rating. I mean, now yeah, that was because, you know, the volatility was there in the stock, and now it's, you know, maybe not there. But I just don't see, uh, you know, I don't see a significant pop for that rating. Well, there's not that much coverage on the stock to begin with. So right now, only J.P. Morgan, they've got overweight. Only J.P. Morgan, uh, Barclays, and uh, those two, that's it. Just the the only ones with the overweight slash buy ratings. So there isn't that, there's not a lot of coverage. Not a lot of coverage. So you would think one analyst coming out with an overweight rating would have more impact than 2.4%. Right. So does it go more or is there just overhead supply? That might be more of the issue. You know, you have people here who are in this thing and burned. I mean, there, you know, I've had a lot of people, you know, asking me about the stock. It was a cult stock. It was a story stock. Everybody was interested in it, people buying it all the way up. Those people are caught now. I don't think this is going back to 200. I don't think it's going to the Berkeley's 187 price. I think all rallies are to be sold, in my opinion. Keep a, Just keep my opinion. Eye. Yep. Keep an eye on the pre market high. The pre market high comes in at. 148.45. I'm just looking at this. I'm just seeing two highs over 160 uh, from the last few sessions. 161.49, 160.49. A close right there at that area. So, I mean, I would be, you know, I'm leaning toward the bearish side here. But if you can get up and, you know, clear that 160 area, I think you got a little bit more room on the upside, but also a lot of people got caught yesterday on that news and now you're getting a pop up. You're quite a bit off the low from yesterday at 149. So you could definitely, definitely see people lightening up uh, in, into this rally and it, the chart doesn't look good the way it came down off that 220. What was the old time high? Maybe even higher than that. 230. Wow, 239.71. Uh, you want to do one more rating? Well, uh, we didn't even get to uh, RH oh, raise yeah. their guidance. Uh, so X cut their guidance and uh, RH raised X is the story. X I mean, RH did a little guidance raise. It's moved a buck. I mean, X is a disaster here today. So U.S. Steel is trained down 12% here now. Once a dog, always a dog. Use those opportunities. When you're in a dog stock, use the rallies. And we saw this laggard rally in the last couple of weeks. Use those opportunities to get out of the dogs. I mean, here it is. And it's giving back its entire gain in the laggard rally in basically one foul swoop. So, I mean, don't once a dog, always a dog. U.S. Steel is just a dog. All right, 1091. Uh, that's currently where we're trading. You did have a low on September 4th there, and then you could just see your daily lows. Uh, 1048 was another daily low. The actual low of the move is 1016, so they keep kept it from going under $10 last time. I'm not sure we're going to get it there today. 
Uh, just be aware, a lot of uh, a couple lows. I won't say a lot of support though. Um, in the lower ten handles, and um, what else? Do, do one more here, Lombardo one forty one. Do I think Adobe can fill the gap? Boy, that was you know how we talked about like that two sixty eight or 269 and 271, and you just call it and said, hey, let's call it 270. 270.02 was the low in that yesterday. Levels work. Yeah. Um, not much, you know, if you're looking for a gap fill, I mean, you practically have it right now. 280.36 was the low from yesterday. So get a fill the gap looks like pretty easily here. Um, and then it opens up. Let's see if, if you get back to that closing price at 284.69 from uh, – from Tuesday, I'm sure a lot of people will be happy about that. But sure, going to get a gap fill there. Um, S&Ps are ripping here. Uh, someone said about selling the open here. I just don't know here. This market's been so quiet. They couldn't take it down yesterday. Nope. Um, going into a quad witch tomorrow, I, I just I just can't see just rip. I don't have any resistance here until, uh, yeah. I, I, I don't know. It looks, it looks I I have my buy the dip hat on, not my sell the rip hat on. Yeah. So and I'm obviously I, I don't have any swing trades on or anything, but you know, just from a, the trading perspective here, um, I, I think we go higher. I think all the dips are getting bought here right now. I don't they see unless we get a trade war headline or something negative and headline headline driven market. I mean stuff can happen, but I the the, the trading action yesterday with that dip getting spots and scooped up so quickly tells me money managers want to own stocks here again. And I think you're going to see the dips get bought. So, and I, I wouldn't be surprised if the rally continues. Okay. Quadruple witching definition refers to a date when stock index futures expire, stock index options expire and stock options expire. And I don't know if anybody stock. trades single stock futures, but they all expire simultaneously it's something that only happens four times a year. And this one, and uh, Mark kind of concurred on that, this one's been a sleepy one. So uh, tomorrow's the day, and we'll see what kind of action we get. Spencer we got a big pop in Twilio. It got upgraded today. Splunk is also up because Cisco had put a bid out there for, what is it, Dodog or whatever? That got rejected. That got rejected. Uh, yeah. Datadog, yeah. Uh, Datadog, Dodog. Datadog is an IPO today. They said that. But Cisco, Cisco tried to buy them. Right. And Datadog said, no, thanks, but no thanks. So DDOG is coming out. Cisco tried to buy them. So this is in the same space as Splunk, right. which is why you're seeing Splunk get a lift here in the pre market, at least in my opinion. All right. Uh, that'll be it for our show. Thanks to both our guests, Mark Chaikin and Gordon Johnson. Thanks to all of you in our chat rooms on YouTube and premarket.benzinga.com. Catch the replay of the show on YouTube or catch our podcast wherever you get your podcasts, any platform, iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever. Uh, please remember all the information from our show. Make Roku lifting right now, too. Right, Sorry yeah. to interrupt you. Roku, Roku just unveiled uh, their latest product, their latest lineup of uh, new devices. So that could be why I saw the headline a few minutes ago. Just, just happening now. Yeah, it was right. down five. It was down six at one time. Now it's only down two. Right. Roku so Express, 30 bucks. Roku Ultra, 100 bucks. Uh, there you go. Stock so, is broken. People are caught. I still, I, I kind of think it's all, everything rallies a selling opportunity now. We could rally, but I mean, we're down. We're down 60 points in like, or 50 points. We're down in 10 days. So, I mean, it could bounce, but I think they're, I think you're still going to find sellers. All right. Uh, please remember all the information from our show meant to be used as, as informational purposes only, not for investing or trading advice. 
questions, comments, concerns, email us at premarket at benzinga.com. Everyone have a great rest of your day. We'll see you on Friday for the final show of the week.